The message today is called A Tale of Two Gardens. And it's no accident that the two biggest events in all of human history have taken place in a garden. That's no accident. When God first created the first human, Adam, he took him and he he placed him in a garden. Why do that? Why in a garden? But there's something so special and unique about this image of the garden in the Bible. And I haven't got time today to unpack all of that. But we know that when God first created Adam, it was there that he placed him. He took him and he placed Adam in a garden. And there in that garden of Eden, God took a rib from Adam's side and made Eve, the first woman to be Adam's partner. And this first garden, Eden, it was a paradise. It was a place of beauty, a place of abundance, a place of peace, a place like you and I could never fully imagine, I think. We live in a world where there is beauty, yes, there is a little taste of goodness in this world, isn't there? But it's never quite full. But Eden was a paradise. It was a beautiful place. Not just of created things, but God himself was in that garden, as Genesis says, walking with Adam and Eve. So it wasn't just that the garden was beautiful, it was that God actually dwelt there with mankind. But it was in this place called Eden, in this paradise, where everything was right, that man fell. Disaster struck. Adam and Eve fell into sin. They were deceived. They chose to listen to the voice of the serpent. And they ate from a tree which God had commanded them not to eat from. They chose to obey the words of a serpent over the words of God. And there came sin. That's what we call the fall. The fall of Adam and Eve into sin. And that fall, that choice that they made in the garden to follow and to obey the words of this serpent over against the words of God. That action set the tone for the rest of humanity. So that's what I want to talk about today, is the tale of two gardens, the tale of Eden and the tale of the garden tomb. I don't know if you noticed, but at the very start of the reading, in John chapter 19, verse 41, it says that the tomb was in a garden and that the place where Jesus was crucified and the tomb were within walking distance from one another. It was in a garden. And so what we're going to look at today is the difference between these two gardens. I think there is a question that comes quite often is, yes, we understand that Adam and Eve made a bad choice. They chose to follow the serpent instead of follow the word of God. But how does that affect me? How does that affect any of us here today? Thousands and thousands of years later, how can Adam and Eve's mistake in that Garden of Eden pass all the way down to me here in 2023? Well, I'm going to use a cheeky little picture to explain why that does affect us. 
A few years back, David, myself, another one of our friends, we went hiking up in the Lake District. And we were trying to get up onto this mountain ridge and walk along it. And as we got near the top of this mountain, there was a stream flowing down the side of the mountain. And we were thirsty. We wanted to drink. And as we went to take water from that stream, David, being the the clever outback man that he is, he said, you can't just drink that water as it is. It needs to be purified. It needs to be purified. And why is that the case? Well, because further up the stream, certain animals called sheep decide to do things in the stream, and that passes down the stream to us, and therefore making the water impure to drink. And so you can see that in that garden of Eden, Adam and Eve's sin passed all the way down the stream to you and I here in 2023, meaning that the very life that we live is affected by the sin of Adam and Eve. And so in the first garden in Eden, man, mankind, fell into sin. And that sin was passed down through all the generations of mankind, right through to today, to to you and I. And it impacts all of our being. It doesn't just mean that we follow in the footsteps of Adam and Eve. The Bible says we're actually born with this thing called sin. It's part of who we are. It, It affects our very nature, the way that we think, the things that we want in our hearts. You know, there's, people will say things like, are you saying we're born without a free will? And I would say, well, it's, it's more that we're born with a heart that's captive to our own desires. Just like the video we watched earlier. It's less about the faculty of the will and more about the heart. There's something that's gone tragically wrong in the heart of every person born into this world. That We just want to serve ourselves and not God. We'd rather have ourselves as a master than him. And that's the issue. That's the issue. That's the corruption of sin. And so in Eden... Man fell. Man fell into sin. But what happened in the garden tomb? Just as man fell in Eden, in the garden tomb, a man named Jesus rose in righteousness. And just as Adam and Eve's sin meant that all humanity in some way, fell into that sin with them. So Jesus and his resurrection in the garden tomb means something, not just for him, not just for him individually, but actually for all those who believe in him. Romans 5.19 says, For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made, what? Righteous. In the garden tomb, a man rose to righteousness. And that meant righteousness, not just for him, but for all those who believe in him. In Eden, it was from a tree that sin came. It was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that Eve took the fruit and ate and sin entered in. But in the garden tomb, It was on a tree that sin met its end. Are you seeing the parallels here? Are you seeing this? God never makes mistakes, does he? 
First Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Again, we have a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. In Eden, Adam and Eve did what? They hid themselves, didn't they? They hid themselves. They tried to hide from God. They were ashamed. How many of you have ever been ashamed and just wished that the ground would swallow you up? This happens regularly for me. There's many, many moments in every week that Graham Phillips just wishes the ground would swallow him up and take away his shame. And this is exactly what Adam and Eve did. And you know what? You and I experientially know that it's passed to us. That shame came with the fall. They wanted to hide from God. How many of you have tried to hide from God before? This is what they did in the garden. In Eden, they hid themselves from God. But in the garden tomb, did you notice what happened in the reading? There wasn't any hiding from Christ, was there? At the garden tomb, Mary Magdalene came seeking Jesus. She came seeking him out, not hiding in Eden, God called out, where are you? But in the garden too, Mary called out, where have you laid my Lord? Where have you laid him? God's people came seeking him. She says to the gardener, or the person she's supposed to be the gardener, where have you laid my Lord? In the garden too, Mary and the disciples came seeking Christ. I want to take a moment just to look again at this figure of Eve. In the Garden of Eden. Because this, I think, is powerful. In Eden, it was Eve that was first deceived by the serpent. It was the serpent that chose Eve and began to spin his lies to her and question the word of God. And isn't that just the way of the enemy even today? Did God really say? Did God really say? Any attack of the enemy even today, is going to come with a subtle undermining of what God has said. Does the Bible really say? Is anybody feeling this right now? In the world that we live in right now, sadly in this nation, many who should know better are asking the question, does the Bible really say? Isn't that just the question that Satan posed to Eve in the garden? In Eden, in that garden, it was the woman who was deceived. And sadly, she then went on to carry that very deception of Satan to her husband. And she led him into that same deception. But watch what happens in the garden tomb. It's flipped and reversed. And in the garden tomb, it's Mary Magdalene, the woman who comes. And she's the first at the tomb looking for Jesus. It wasn't John. It wasn't Peter. But it was a woman who was the first at the tomb looking for her Lord. Can you see the redemptive pattern here? And you know what? The gardener could have shown up when Peter and John arrived at the tomb. Don't you just love it that John wrote this gospel and he recorded for us the fact that he, pe he beat Peter in a foot race. <laughs> and the dis He calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. You've got to love John, haven't you? But here in the garden tomb, things are reversed because Mary Magdalene is the first to arrive at the tomb and it's Jesus who chooses to appear to her. 
Not to Peter and to John. He could have done, but he appeared to Mary as a gardener. And he gave her the responsibility, not Peter and John, but her, of going back and proclaiming the good news to the rest of the apostles. She became the very first evangelist after Jesus had risen from the dead. Isn't that wonderful? In the garden tomb, Jesus gave a woman the job of being the first to proclaim truth. In Eden, she had been the one who spread the lie. In the garden tomb, she was the one who went to proclaim the truth. Praise God. In the garden of Eden, God took a life to clothe Adam and Eve's nakedness, to clothe their shame. We don't know what animal it was that he took the skins from, but we know that he took skins and made them. And the implication is that he took a life. It doesn't say that explicitly, but he did make clothes from animal skins and gave those clothes to Adam and Eve. Why? To cover their shame, to cover their nakedness. He took a life. And in the garden tomb, we see God giving up a life. We, we looked at Isaiah 53 on Good Friday. And we saw how the cross wasn't just an accident. It wasn't an accident of history, something that went wrong. But actually, the cross was something that was foreordained by God. It was actually the Father who gave his Son. To be crushed for our iniquities. To be bruised for our transgressions. And by his stripes we are healed. This was no accident. This was Yahweh's sovereign plan. Was to give life in that garden tomb. The life of his only begotten son Jesus Christ. To cover the sin and shame of the world. Isn't this wonderful news? John 1.29. John says... Behold the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, the sacrificial offering of Yahweh who takes away the sins of the world. In the Garden of Eden, it was an animal whose life was taken to cover their shame. But in the Garden Tomb, it was much, much greater. A much, much greater sacrifice. The giving of God's only Son to cover our shame. You know, if Jesus Christ takes our shame, that means we don't have to bear it anymore. We saw in the video earlier that in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve were cast out, God placed two cherubim. Now, we think of cherubim because we go to garden centers and see these little statues of tiny babies with wings, often doing unspeakable things into little pools and bird baths. Um, but <laughs> my Hebrew teacher, she ha she's actually doing a PhD right now into the study of angels in the Bible. And she always says to me, don't let those figurines fool you. Cherubim in the Bible were fearsome beings. Fearsome beings. And they guarded the way back to Eden. So that what? Why did they guard the way? They guarded the way, didn't they? So that Adam and Eve couldn't come back in, in their sinful state, and eat from the tree of life, and therefore make the human condition eternal and irreparable. Irreconcilable, irredeemable. So God was actually blessing them 
by not allowing them back into Eden in that state. So the cherubim, the angels, guarded the way in Eden. But what happened in the garden tomb? The angels weren't guarding the way. They weren't trying to keep Mary back from finding Jesus, but they guided her to Christ. Do you see again the change between the two gardens? Do you see again the restoration in the relationship between the angelic realm even and humanity? In the garden, intimacy was lost. That was what was lost. We fell not just into sin, but we fell from a positive, intimate relationship with God. There was distance that was created. Adam and Eve and our forefathers were cast out of that place of intimacy in that garden. They had to leave. They had to go away from God. But in the garden tomb, intimacy was restored. It was restored. You see, becoming a Christian isn't just about having your sins forgiven, is it, brothers and sisters? It's way, way more than that. It's not just about coming out of the red in terms of having sins cancelled. It's coming into the black. It's coming into credit. We're coming into a relationship with God. Christianity is more than just obeying commandments and laws. Christianity is about a living, vibrant relationship with God himself. Intimacy in the garden tomb was restored. Ephesians 2.13 says, Now, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once what? Once far off. You were once far off. But you've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. That's wonderful news. In the garden tomb, intimacy was restored. And as we said earlier, in Eden, what happened? We have man being created from the dust of the earth. That should humble you. You are dust and to dust you shall return. God made mankind out of dust. And then he took a rib from the man and he made Eve in Eden. Life was created in Eden. Our natural, physical life had its origins in that place. And just as life was created in Eden, new life was created in the garden tomb. A man rose from the dead. Jesus Christ rose, not to the same life that he had before, not to the old natural body that he had before, but he rose in what? He rose in glory with a resurrection body. He rose to new life, imperishable life. In the garden tomb, there was new life. And the new life isn't like the old one, brothers and sisters. It's much, much, much better. It's much better. And Jesus tells us the way to enter into it, doesn't he? He tells us that the way to enter into this new life isn't just by dying. There's a common myth that's around in the world today that says that everybody who dies enters into this new life. That the way to heaven is just to cop it. But that's not what Jesus said to Nicodemus. When Nicodemus came asking 
about Jesus and the works he was doing. Lord, how is it you're doing these miracles? How can I have some of this kingdom that you're walking in? Jesus didn't say to him, Nicodemus, cop it and you'll, you'll enjoy those things. Just die. That's how you do it. He didn't say that. He said, truly I say to you, unless one is what? Unless one is born again. Born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter into his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So how do you enter into this new life? You don't enter in in the physical. You enter in by the spirit. You must be born again in the spirit. How does that happen? Jesus tells us at the end of the same chapter. He says, whoever believes in the son has eternal what? Eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son, in the man who rose in the garden tomb, if you believe in him today, if you believe with your heart and you declare with your mouth, you have that new life that's promised by Jesus in that garden. So this story of the two gardens is a tale of restoration. It's a tale of restoration. How many of you need your life restored? How many of you would like God to rebuild the broken ruins? How many of you have experienced destruction in your life? This is a promise of new life, brothers and sisters. This is what we're celebrating today. That's God's plan for your life, to restore what has been broken, what has been damaged, what has been lost. It's to reconcile you with your Father. It's to bring you back into relationship with him. It's to give you new and everlasting life. And I would say, if you want to enter into this new life today, look no further than the empty tomb. Look no further than that empty tomb. That's where our hope is founded. Set aside every other hope that you've got in this world. Whether that might be increased finances, whether it's success, whether it's a new relationship, whatever it is. Forsake those things and cling to this hope. The empty tomb, the resurrected Lord, the new life in Christ Jesus. All of the rest of this world is passing away. But that life that we see in the garden tomb, that's not going anywhere. And brothers and sisters, if you're in that today, you're not going anywhere either. Though you die, you shall be raised to life with Christ Jesus. And you shall live with him forever. The empty tomb is hope for new beginnings. I'm going to say this to you. All is not lost. All is not lost. However much you think you may have messed up your life, maybe you think you're too old to fix it, maybe you think you've gone too far now and God could never forgive you. The empty tomb says there's still hope. The empty tomb says there's still life. The empty tomb says you've not gone too far to turn back to him again. Let's stand. You invite the worship team to come. Father God, we thank you for the promise of new life in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are good to us. And that, Lord, no matter how far we think we may have messed things up, that the empty tomb tells us there is hope for tomorrow. There is a future for us. So if any here today or listening on the live broadcast 
don't know if you are in the, the last Adam and maybe you feel you're still in the first Adam and still in his works. Now's the opportunity. Put your trust in Christ Jesus and nowhere else. Put your hopes in him and you shall have eternal life. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.